127. Joseph Stanley here with Rooted 27, a podcast ministry of Red House Baptist Church. And uh, we're glad that you decided to listen today. Uh, we exist to uh, help you to become more rooted in Jesus Christ. We're based on Colossians 2 7, so that you can build your life upon Him and uh, continue to flourish in Him. And uh, we, that happens through various ways as, as we go throughout this year. Uh, you may have listened to past episodes, and you'll see that sometimes we have various guests on. We learn about their testimony, or we'll focus on a variety of biblical topics that may uh, help you grow in your spiritual walk. And today I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Darren Cobb, who is the senior pastor here at Red House Baptist Church. So welcome and thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been here at Red House. What do you do here? Well, uh, my family and I moved to Richmond, Kentucky from Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, we've been here going on eight years, uh, hard to believe, but uh, this April, May, uh, it'll be eight years. We officially started on Father's Day uh, eight years ago, so we've been here a little while. Wow. So uh, you've been in ministry for a long time? And... Yes. I surrendered to ministry when I was 13. I was saved when I was 10 um, and uh, went to uh, Southwest Baptist University in Bolivar, Missouri, and God reaffirmed my call there. And after my first year, I started out as a business major and switched to a psych major, and then finally yielded and said, "Okay, God, I'll, you know, surrender full-time ministry." And uh, so I'd made it public. Uh, whenever I was starting, well, this is that summer to my freshman sophomore year of college, but yeah, then I started doing a ministry right then uh, on campus, a small group minister, and then I was um, hired to be an intern. And my mom and dad's large church; they had moved from Iowa, where I grew up. Uh, down to Atlanta, Georgia, and I needed an internship, so I got on with uh, Dr. James Merritt and his church down at First Baptist Snellville and served a couple of summers as an intern down there. That was an amazing experience. Their college department, I walked in that first Sunday, and uh, one of the guys who was the head of the college department was a manager of the Chick-fil-A. Well, in Iowa, we didn't have Chick-fil-A's, and I uh, walked into the college department. There were over 305 students. Wow. I'd never been in a church that had that many people, let alone just a mm -hmm. college Sunday school class. So, yeah, I've been doing ministry since 1988, 89. So uh, you said you surrendered to the call of ministry at 13, mm -hmm. technically, and then you yes. fully surrendered when you was in college, right. more or less, to right. join the ministry. What about when you got saved? When, when did that take place? Well, that's amazing. Uh, of course, my mom and dad were originally from Kentucky. Mom was from Hazel Green, Kentucky. I don't know if you know where Hazel Green is, uh, but uh, it's just a little spot in the map uh, going toward Pike County from here. And uh, her and her family moved to Dayton, Ohio to find work. And my dad grew up in Jessamine County, just across wow. the river, uh, and he had gone to Dayton, Ohio to find work. And then uh, they met and married, and I was born there, and I was five. Uh, dad uh, was offered... Uh, an option to either be unemployed or take a third cut in pay and move out to Wilton, Iowa to help start a distribution center from McCall's Magazine there. So I grew up in Iowa, went to vacation Bible school because a neighbor, uh, neighbor's granddaughter was my age, invited me to vacation Bible school. Was your parents school. Christians at this time? Or? No, they weren't. Even though my dad was a preacher's kid, he, he and my mom, neither one, had made a profession of faith. They had been in and out of church, you know, when they were little, but neither one of them really knew the Lord Jesus Christ. So... Um, as a result of me being invited to 
Vacation Bible School and then that little church in Tipton, Iowa, um, sent out a deacon or two to visit, invite us to a revival. Long story short, I was saved when I was 10 years of age, and then my mom and dad shortly accepted Christ uh, thereafter. Wow. It's amazing how God works, even as a child being saved and the family getting yes. saved and it working out in their lives. Uh, since you've been here at Red House, and I know I didn't really ask, tell you, I was going to ask you this earlier, but what's your goals here for like the year and for the years following? What do you want to see for our church? You know, that's a great question. As I've been thinking about this year, you know, people ask me all the time, well, how's the church going? Um, it's hard to say because we still have a lot of folks a lot of folks who haven't returned. Uh, we have some folks that just because of health reasons and because they're being overly cautious, and I don't, you know, I don't have any feelings except for encouragement to them that they need to be cautious. But one of my goals is to see God raise up leaders who will continue to help us uh, with the mission he's given us, and that's to exalt Christ. So we want to raise up preachers and teachers and people who will help lead out in ministry. Uh, I want to see us continue to pour our resources and efforts uh, into the upward ministry, which is kicked off the basketball. Uh, you know, we'll have the opportunity to touch hundreds of lives coming into our facilities. Mm -hmm. So we really need to see that uh, emphasized and put our energies and efforts that are reaching these children and their parents. And then we have a new initiative coming up, and I'm proud of our mission teams working with our association director, and we're going to have an emphasis starting, I believe, in April, April, May, of trying to help uh, get the gospel into every home in Madison County. And so we're going to need a great effort from Sunday school classes, our deacons, our leaders. But, you know, uh, people, people are hungry for spiritual things. They just don't realize that they find truth in spiritual, uh, gospel-centered, historical, accurate uh, Christianity in the local church. Our goal is to minister the gospel to them, help them realize that the problems they're facing, the hurts that they have, the brokenness they experience in their lives, the only hope that they have is a personal relationship with their Creator, with, and that Jesus is the only one who can guarantee us uh, forgiveness of sin, and healing of our broken hearts and give us the hope of eternal life. So uh, that's one of the initiatives that we're going to be facing and trying to implement in April and May. Of course, we're gearing up for Easter. It's hard to say already here in February, but we're gearing up for Easter. And then we're just going to have to wait and see. I'm, I'm praying that we'll have more people come. I'm praying that we'll have some people uh, who haven't been here in a while come back. Uh, I'm praying that God will uh, bless us and strengthen us and that God will, um, well, honestly, that God will help us see who's sincere about the church and doing his work and that they will flourish and that God will raise up new leaders. Why do you think it's important that a Christian be a part of a local church? Because God said it's important. I mean, God established a covenant community of faith called the church, the called out ones. Uh, the very word ecclesia means those who are called out to gather together. And so... This church, established by God for the purpose of glorifying Jesus, we need to band together as a family. And uh, you, you're never going to find a perfect family. You're never going to find a perfect church. But you need to find a place where you put down roots, where you can grow to love one another, know one another, help one another. It's hard to help people you don't know. 
It's hard to be gracious and kind and to say, you know, I want to come alongside you and help bear your burden if you don't know that person. Mm -hmm. So being a part of a family of faith is so important. Um, you know, you got family members that maybe get on your nerves. Well, that's going to be true maybe in the church. However, it's God's plan for discipleship and evangelism is a local body of believers. Part of extending his kingdom, yes. exactly. It's, it's what the, he established the church. It's the way he... Yeah. It's the way he... It's the way God designed us to execute the Great Commission, was yeah. through a local church, to win people to Christ, equip them, grow them. And it's not overnight. It takes time. Just like a child. A child, you know, you bring the child home from the hospital. Well, it needs care. It needs nurture. It's going to be messy sometimes. But you walk with that child. You impart into that child wisdom and truth. And you try to help them and guard them against things that will harm them and feed them things that will make them healthy. It's the same way in the church. Just kind of shift gears for a little bit. Just since the beginning of this year, reflecting on last year, I've really <clears> been <throat> thinking about Christians developing their biblical worldview mm -hmm. in all aspects. Because we faced a lot of situations last year with the pandemic, with the election, mm -hmm. with uh, riots. We had all kind mm -hmm. of things going on. And most people approached them. If you got on Facebook, if you got on the Internet, they had all kind of conspiracies, all kind of thoughts about the situations, but very few actually considered them from a biblical perspective where they're putting on that Christian lenses and they're saying, okay, how does God see this situation and how should we be looking at it? So that's been part of what I hope to do here on the podcast and mm -hmm. to get people thinking about their Christian worldview, applying the Bible to each and every situation they face in their life. But I began to think about uh, most Christians would agree that the Bible is true, that the Bible is God's word. But if you went and asked some an average Christian, what does inerrancy mean? What does inspiration mean? Mm -hmm. What is the Bible? I don't know if they'd be able to give you an adequate answer. And that's not faulting them or saying someone doesn't have knowledge. But i just kind of curious, what is the Bible when we say it? Well, the Bible is God's revelation of himself. It's... Uh, the Bible informs us from Genesis to Revelation, God's uh, God's epic story of redemption. Um, the I mean, really, uh, as a Christian, you're either going to be a Bible believing Christian that says Genesis one one is true because God's not a liar. Mm -hmm. He said that in the beginning. God created, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, and that everything comes from him, and in him and by him everything moves. Uh, so, you know, this is one of the things that I've been preaching since I've been here, and really for the last 25 years, is that, you know, you either need to be a biblical Christian, or you need to be honest enough to admit that if you're not a biblical Christian, you're probably not a Christian, or at least you're an atheistic Christian. You know what an atheistic Christian is? It's not a Christian. It's someone who says that they're a Christian but lives as if God doesn't exist because uh, God does exist. And a uh, matter of fact, I was having a little devotion a little while ago, and you asked me what the, what the Bible is. Well, if you, if you listen to Psalm 19, it's a witness of, uh, that God gives of himself and of Scripture. He says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, you see, we... we experience God and see him through what he created. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look up in the starry host of the uh, at night and you can, wow, God created each and every star. You look at the sun. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, I believe in God like I believe in the sun. And not only do I see the sun, but by the sun, I see everything else. I believe in God because by him, I see everything else. So, you know, your scriptures are very clear uh, about 
You know, God's the creator. His power is displayed. His voice is heard. Um, it says that the instruction of the Lord is perfect, is flawless. One of the reasons why uh, Christians don't understand the terms that you just used, mm-hmm. inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility, uh, is because they don't discipline their mind to think through them. They hear them tossed about like a preacher like myself will say them from the pulpit, but they never write it down. Like they might read them in the Baptist faith message say, yeah, I agree with that, but, but what does it mean? You know what I'm saying? And you know what? I was probably the same way. But then when I wanted to understand what the word meant, I went to a Bible dictionary, and I looked at the definition. Mm-hmm. And then I went to my journal, and I wrote down the definition because I wanted to know what it meant. And so the Bible says of itself that the instruction of the Lord, the Torah of the Lord, the law— first five books of the Bible, that they are perfect and they renew your life, that the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making wise the naive. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The commands of the Lord are radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure and enduring forever, and the ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous." They are to be more desired than gold, than the abundance of pure gold, and they are sweeter than honey, dripping with honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. So the Bible is truth. It's God's truth. And every believer needs to feast upon the Word of God. If, they're wanting, if they want to know who God is, they got to get into the Bible. Yeah, it's important we realize how... I like the the passage you just read. It's sweeter than honeycomb. Mm-hmm. It's it's so uh, important that it be a part of our lives. If we believe it's truth, yes. which we, we affirm, mm-hmm. we believe it's God's word, then we're going to be held accountable for what we say we believe before God. And I think there's we should be conscientious of how we're living out the Bible in our daily lives. I think uh, having sound theology plays a big role in that. Yes. And as I said earlier, going back to the biblical worldview situation, Many times people say what they believe. Yeah, they agree with the church's theology, but when it comes to actual practice of their life, you know, say, for instance, something bad happens, well, they automatically are anxious, worried, afraid. They spin it out of control, and they don't go back to the truth that God is in control, mm-hmm. that God is omnipotent, that God is all-powerful. Instead, they're, they're trusting in man, they're trusting in themselves, and they're not going back to that theological foundation of who God really is. Would you agree with that? Yes, and I just think it's, you know, we got to realize that uh, we are trapped in this sinful flesh, mm-hmm. and the mind of man is hostile to God. And one of the things that I'm so grateful for is that when I was saved at 10 years old, I didn't understand any of these terms you're throwing mm-hmm. around. I was 10 years of age, but I had a Bible, and I began to read through it. And I understand when the Bible says that we're all sinners. I understand when the Bible says uh, that I need a Savior, that my only hope is in finding forgiveness. I understood that. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about some of the theological things, we grow in that. That's what sanctification is. You know, redemption happens immediately when you accept Christ. You're justified. You're redeemed. You're regenerated. But then the process of sanctification. So salvation happens immediately. Sanctification happens over your life. Yeah as you grow, as you deepen, as you understand things better. You know, just for an example, when I was in high school, I tried to play football, okay? And uh, I was just a farm kid in Iowa, uh, and majority of my time was spent on the farm and in Future Farmers of America. I wanted to go out for football, 
and they gave me the playbook, and they said, memorize these plays. We want you to play this position. And I only knew the terminology and enough about football to know what I was responsible for. You know, I was to run to this spot. I was to hit that person. I didn't understand the whole game. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand the different positions. I didn't understand all the terminology. Uh, now that I'm not actively playing, I do, because over the course of time, I've just picked it up from watching. Same way in Christianity a lot of times. Um, I guess it comes with a desire to grow as well. It does, and sometimes you're forced to. You know, mm-hmm. you go through hard times. You, you know, uh, this is an incredible truth, and that is this: difficulties and adversities are either going to drive you to God or away from God. Yes, yeah, true. Uh, thinking about the Bible and we're studying the Bible, reading it. What part does the Holy Spirit play in that? Because sometimes we can bring our own intellect to the Bible. We can, mm-hmm. you know, say what we know, and we can read it. But what about the Holy Spirit's involvement in our reading of Scripture and our understanding of it? Well, one of the safe things to do, and uh, I remember being in college and reading A.W. Tozer uh, talking about walking uh, with the presence of the Lord and, and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it really struck me, the Holy Spirit's job description is to make me holy. So you're talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in our sanctification and helping us understand the Word of God. One of the things that was really helpful to me uh, when, was when I discovered the gospel in Ezekiel chapter 36, uh, where God says, you know, he's talking about the restoration of his people, talking about how he's going to honor the holiness of his great name in verse uh, 21 and 23. He said, I'm going to honor my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. Uh, he said, I'm going to have it honored through you. I'm going to demonstrate my holiness uh, in their sight through you. And that's what the church, that's what we're here for. And then he says this, I'm going to take you out of the nations. I'm going to cleanse you, verse 25, from all your impurities and all your idols. That's what it means to be regeneration, cleansing, uh, repentance, turning away from my sinful desires to godly desires and seeking him, turning my affections towards God. And then verse 26 says this, and this is the gospel right here in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give give you a heart of flesh. And then in verse, verse 27, I will place my spirit, capital S. This is the Holy Spirit of God. I will place my spirit within you, and that's what happens at salvation, and he will cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. And then you will live in the land that I gave your fathers. And to me, that just confirms what the New Testament teaches us. Um, that the Holy Spirit comes, makes his home within us. His job is to keep us uh, on the right path. He convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And uh, we need the Holy Spirit every day, whether we realize or not. He comes alongside us to comfort us, to console us, to convict us, and honestly, to complete what Christ began. He completes it through the work of redemption into our life, making us more and more like Christ. I like that scripture you just read because it basically summarizes salvation Mm -hmm. and then God putting his spirit inside of you. And then that's what's necessary in order for you to be guided in all truth and have an understanding of scripture and have an understanding of the Bible. It happens in a process. And the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5, that's the Holy Spirit of God inside of you that causes you to yearn. The Greek word for yearn there is lost. The Holy Spirit causes our spirit to yearn after God. 
And so there's something inside of us once we're saved that just wants God, wants more of God, feels like something's missing if we're not communing with God and fellowship with God. And I think a big part of that is, too, I heard on, I don't know who the preacher was on the radio, but I liked what he was saying. Many people talk about the Holy Spirit. You know, you got to pray for hours for the, you know, the Holy Spirit to feel you, for you to feel the Holy Spirit in your life. Mm-hmm. But all you really have to do is yield to the Holy Spirit yes. and say, yes, uh, Mm-hmm. take control of my life, take control of me, convict me of sin, rid, rid everything out of me that's unlike you, guide me in truth, mm-hmm. and the Holy God will do it. God will yes. answer that prayer uh, yeah. when we ask, we, when don't, we yield. We don't need more of the Holy Spirit. He needs more of us. Yeah. I like the way Watchman Nee talks about it in his little book, Release of the Spirit. We received all the Holy Spirit through his upon salvation. God desires that we learn to walk in step with Him. And it's just like your water faucet and your sink. Mm-hmm. When you put pressure and you turn the water off, the pressure is still there. But when you release and you let the water flow, when you, when you stop grieving the Holy Spirit, when you stop resisting the Holy Spirit, when you stop quenching the Holy Spirit and you release Him to be free in who He is, He's going to testify about Jesus. He's going to make you more like Christ. He's going to cause you to walk in righteousness. That's who He is, what He does. Most time, we're just quenching Him. Exactly. I got to ask you a question about last year because it kind of got interrupted because of the pandemic and everything. But you was talking about apologetics towards the beginning of the year last year. And then towards the end, you talk about defending the truth, the faith worth mm-hmm. fighting for. Uh, do you see in the days ahead and the culture we're living in that it's important that Christians be aware of the truth and be growing in it and know how to defend their faith? Well, one of the biggest things to answer your question is twofold. Uh, obviously, yes, but I see an even greater uh, task at hand and uh, your generation really really is going to have to tackle this it's sad but 67 percent of your generation and because you're a little bit behind me Mm -hmm. doesn't believe there is absolute truth i'm talking about people sitting in church not talking about lost people right. and pagans and gen- I'm talking about people, people, say Bible, people who yeah. say that they're Christians. If 60 to 67% don't believe there's absolute truth, then how in the world do we take this book that is said to be the truth, this Savior who said, I am the way, the truth? Yes, yeah, so we have to, first of all, we have to convince those who have been called that there is absolute truth. And then we have to share with them that truth will stand when everything else falls. So you think about all the attacks on uh, biblical Christianity today. This is uh, the way I think of it. You know, when you start church, you start Sunday school, you start growing, it's like you get these building blocks of individual truths, mm-hmm. like Jesus is the way of salvation. Uh, the, the Bible is, in fact, you know, get all these bricks of truth, and you can stack all these bricks up, right? But then you get someone who's an intellectual or somebody who's just smart, and they ram their car of unbelief into your stack of bricks, and all those bricks can fall. And they're like, well, is it not true then? No, 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 they're truth. You just didn't cement them together with mortar. Mm-hmm. Apologetics is what Peter said, and he said, you need to be able to give an apologia, a defense for the truth. So you got to be able to just like a bricklayer, you know, slathers mortar between the bricks and when it drives that solid wall, 
Well, the car is going to give. You're going to you're going to crash your car and total your car instead of destroying that brick solid wall. Apologetics is to our faith what cement in the mortar is to a brick wall. Yeah, I think apologetics is very important. Like I said, it kind of got interrupted because we went online and we went through mm-hmm. a pandemic and things changed quite a bit. But I just kind of wanted to circle back to what you was going on last. Listen, talk about last year. We've got the truth. Uh, but uh, it's something that I realized, and maybe it's even changed now. But when I was a youth minister, uh, one of the uh, the three legs of the stool that I used in my ministry was apologetics because I needed to be able to tell the kids not what to believe, but why they believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's good to tell them what to believe, but to answer the question, well, why do we believe this? What evidence is there? What's the history? So the foundation behind Is it, there sure. forensic yeah. evidence that's trustworthy? Yes. Or is it just some people got together and wrote down their opinions? No. This is a revealed word of God, and it is verified in the sciences, the science of uh, geology. It's, it's in phys- everything. Listen, this is not a science book. However, everywhere it deals with nature, with physics, with uh, natural elements, it's true. My point is, is that the word of God is trustworthy, but we have to be fully convinced. And what I'm discovering is a lot of people don't want the Bible to be true. If it is, that means they're going to have to change their lifestyles mm-hmm. and what they call sin. That's true. I know uh, this past Sunday, one of the kids in the Sunday school class I helped teach, who was talking about uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, mm-hmm. that story. And I got the map out, showed him where Ethiopia is, and showed right, him where they right. was on the strip going to Gaza from Jerusalem. And she said, did this really happen? And I was like, yeah. So then we had to go back over and tell, you know, the Bible's true and this isn't, you know, a made-up story. But then once we did, she was like, wow, so this really did happen. It helped her to understand that we're talking about truth, even a third grader. And And as people get older, they need to still be reminded of, yeah, this is true. This is why we believe it's true. And then it goes to if if it is true and we believe it's true, what are we going to do with it at that point? That's right. And that comes a decision time for each and every person. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts for us? I just want to say, you know, we live in a very unusual period of time when we are expressing what the Bible states. People look at us and they say, "That is so strange. You really believe." that the sacrificial system of the Old Testament is fulfilled in the person of Christ? Yes. You really believe that a dead man rose from the dead on the third day? Yes. You really believe that he's coming back to earth riding a white horse? Yes. And I'm telling you that if you're a believer of Jesus, get to know God. And you get to know God by reading his word. This is his revelation of himself. You're not going to know any, any, you're not going to know God any better than what you spend time in his word. Listen, you share your heart with God, speaking to him through prayer, but he reveals himself to you through his spirit as you read. And that's how you're going to become convinced and fortified and strong in your faith is by getting this word, not in your head, but in your whole being and saturate yourself in the Word of God, that will determine the level of your spiritual strength. I remember hearing a sermon uh, preached to Jonah, and it says there in the first verse, the Word of the Lord came to Jonah, and uh, the preacher said, well, has the Word of the Lord came to you today? Obviously not audibly, but when you Mm -hmm. pick up your Bible up and you're reading it, that's God's Word, word, and then then 
Yeah. Like Jonah, we can respond and say, no, God, we're not going to do it. Or we yeah. can yield and say, yes, God, we agree. There's a fallacy that's going around right now I just want to put down. And that is some people say, I only like the words that are written in red. <laughs> that, is, that is such a heartbreaking statement because every word of this Bible was inspired by Jesus. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22, every word is inspired. Personally, I don't like red-letter Bibles. Because every word of God is true. It all matters. It all matters. Yeah. We appreciate you coming on today and taking time out and get so those thank watching you. get to know you as well. And th and thank you for what you're doing with these podcasts. You know, we need some younger, fresher faces and minds and voices. And I appreciate uh, you, brother, for the ministry that you have at our church. And thank you for the opportunity. And thank you for listening today. If you want to learn more about our church, our different ministries here, you can go to our website at redhousebc.com. Uh, or if you have any questions for us or something you'd like answered, you can go to our Facebook page at uh, Root It 27 and message us there. Be sure to subscribe to our Apple Podcast app as well to hear all our latest episodes. Thanks again for watching. You can connect with us via our website at redhousebc.com or connect with us on social media by searching for Rooted27. Or you can also subscribe by searching D House Media RHBC on YouTube. Subscribe now.